episode of Progress, Potential, and Possibilities, discussions with fascinating people designing a better tomorrow for all of us. I'm your host, Ira Pastor. Welcome, everybody, again to another episode of our show, bringing you another really fascinating guest today who is helping to create a better tomorrow on many different fronts. Uh, we have the honor today of being joined by Kerry Kennedy, uh, who is president of Robert F. Kennedy Human Rights, a human rights advocacy organization founded by her mother, Ethel Kennedy, named after her father, United States Senator Robert Kennedy, back in 1968, uh, and which is dedicated to creating a more just and peaceful world, uh, working alongside local human rights activists to ensure lasting positive change uh, in both governments and corporations. Uh, Kerry has been working for over 40 years in the pursuit of equal justice, uh, the promotion and protection of basic rights, uh, and the preservation of the rule of law working on a range of issues, including child labor, women's rights, disappearances, indigenous land rights, environmental justice, the list goes on and on. Uh, and she has led hundreds of human rights delegations in support of these causes. Uh, she is the author as well of, of numerous books, uh, including uh, Speak Truth to Power, Human Rights Defenders Who Are Changing Our World, uh, as well as New York Times bestseller, Being Catholic Now, and uh, Robert F. Kennedy, Ripples of Hope. Uh, she appears regularly as a commentator on both national and international television networks, uh, frequent contributor to newspaper and magazines. Uh, she has served as the chair of Amnesty International USA Leadership Council for over a decade, serves on numerous other boards, uh, and has received numerous <laughs> awards. Uh, she's a member of both the Massachusetts and uh, DC Bar, is a graduate of uh, Brown University uh, and Boston College uh, Law School, and we are really honored to have her. So, uh, Kerry Kennedy, welcome to our show today. Thanks. It's great to be with you. Um, Gary, I, I was going to start off, if you don't mind, just by reading a very short excerpt uh, from the introduction to Speak Truth to Power, um, which goes like this. Uh, In a world where there is a common lament that there are no more heroes, too often cynicism and despair are perceived as evidence of the death of moral courage. That perception is wrong. People of great valor and heart committed to a noble purpose with long records of personal sacrifice walk amongst us in every country of the world. Um, and I'd love to start off, Kerry, if you could just talk about how uh, in a, this 2022 world where it seems like nowadays heroes may be judged by uh, their wealth or how many social media followers they have uh, and so forth, how your organization goes about finding and as well nurturing uh, some of these lesser known heroes that in many cases may be uh, in extreme danger of speaking up about specific issues. Yeah, thank you so much, Ira. So let's talk about what we mean by heroes, to your point. So I think of a hero as somebody who um, combines uh, uh, courage and uh, self-sacrifice for the greater good. So courage is um, overcoming a fear, overcoming fear for the greater good. Now, this is something all of us have done. Your first day of school, you left your parents' hand and he went into the school, even though you were fearful that because that was something better. Uh, another more common example of it, I think we can all relate to, is uh, taking a test you haven't studied for. Now that's a <laughs> that's a that's an act of um, of uh, some courage to to do that um, because you're doing something you're fearful of for a greater good. Now, the difference between that and um, 
human rights defenders, heroes that we're talking about in this context, or it's somebody who does it not just for the greater good of themselves, the greater good of the community. So most of the people who we work with are the Martin Luther Kings and the Mahatma Gandhis um, of their countries. They faced imprisonment or torture or death for basic rights most of us take for granted. And they do that for the common good of their community, their country, or globally. Um, these are the mothers of the disappeared from El Salvador. Uh, they are people like Wangari Mathai, the, the great um, environmental activist, women's rights activist, democracy activist in Kenya. Um, they're Malala uh, and Greta Thornburg and um, so many others. And the, that book that I wrote was born out of this feeling that I would I'd go to a cocktail party and somebody would say, what are you doing? I say, I work on human rights. And they'd say, oh, but how nice. And then they'd walk across the room. <laughs> Get away from this person who's just going to talk about torture and death. And um, but my experience of it was so different. I mean, imagine having the chance to work with Martin Luther King every single day. That inspiration, that, uh, that really groundedness in in love and in forgiveness and in understanding of humanity um, and in that determination to create change in a, in a more and a better world. Those are the people I work with and they're in every community in our country and they're all over the world. Wonderful, wonderful. And, and you know, um, one of the people that I, I had the chance to talk to um, last year was uh, somebody by the name of Dr. Anhula Base, who uh, is an international psychologist who was one of the youngest chairs uh, in Amnesty International Malaysia. And she uh, practices, basically her psychological practice is for victims of torture, which needless to say is a very unique form of psychology. Uh, I also had some folks on from the United Nations uh, Interregional Crime and Justice Research Institute talking about some of the, the tools that they're developing and using right now to, to help impact areas like human trafficking. Um, in this 2022 world, again, and where we're in this place where images, videos of injustice can be beamed at the speed of light anywhere around the world, what are some of the tools, technologies, other things that you're most interested in looking out that may help uh, in the struggle for human rights? So like every uh, tool, technology can be good, it be, can be used. For, uh, for good or, or destruction. Um, so we've seen it be used uh, very effectively, for instance, to um, gain massive interest in human rights violations. That's what led to the Arab Spring. It was really using Facebook. On the other hand, Facebook was also used um, to foment the genocide against the Rohingya in Myanmar. So it can be used either way. Um, we have seen, for instance, blockchain. I was in a, the largest refugee camp in Jordan a few years ago, full of Syrian refugees. Um, go to the grocery store, the aisles are crowded, the checkout lines are long. People are checking out. Nobody has any cash or any credit cards. They're all using blockchain to pay 
for their groceries. So that sort of interests me. Um, what we've really seen with um, uh, uh, my concerns about, about technology and human rights have to do with protection of privacy rights, which mm-hmm. I think most of your listeners are quite familiar with. The right to information. In some countries around the world, uh, people are blocked from getting the information they need. Um, that might be about a polluting company that is uh, destroying the water resources in their, you know, in their com- community or neighborhood, um, or it might be government corruption, etc. Uh, and then the area is um, right to free expression. So also in many countries, that right is uh, is controlled by governments or corporations which don't want um, the population to be sharing information with one another. Um, so it can be used to spy on journalists, on uh, human rights defenders, on lawyers who defend human rights defenders or journalists. And um, that's all the area we call civic space. Mm-hmm. And um, that's one of the main things that RFK Human Rights focuses on. Excellent. Um Someone else uh, that joined me uh, a couple months ago was Cardinal uh, Dr. Michael Cherney, uh, who heads the Vatican's uh, Dicastery for Promoting Integral Human Development, focusing on uh, four areas, health care, justice, and peace for marginalized people. Um, Bawa Jane, I was at on the show, and he uh, recently had this really fascinating conference with the Clinton Foundation on ways faith-based organizations can help deal with the, the opioid crisis. Um, talk a little bit, if you would, about uh, faith-based organizations and initiatives as they uh, help impact your mission uh, with human rights. Well, I think, you know, Pope Francis has really been an extraordinary force for good on human rights issues across the globe, and particularly focused on the anti-poverty programs. And in the wake of COVID, um, that is more important than ever because uh, COVID has exacerbated the the extraordinary uh, uh, suffering that people face simply because they live in poverty. for instance, the incidence of child slavery and child servitude, that, that servi- child servitude is working instead of going to school. I mean, that's the, the simplest description of it, has uh, skyrocketed under COVID. Um, there are now 160 million stu- um, kids mm-hmm. who are working instead of going to school. Pope Francis has uh, been consistent and persistent in trying to get corporations, trying to get the investment community, trying to bring together activists with government and with the private sector to address these issues. Um, And it's made a a very, very significant difference. Um, Reflecting on that in both the, in the, the, he's also reached out to the um, uh, to different communities, to the Jewish community, and to 
the Arab community, um, the, both Christians and um, Islamic Arabs, talking about these issues and finding ways to work together. And I think that that's made a tremendous difference. Um, somebody else, Carrie, that I, that I had the opportunity to talk to on the show, really cool guest named Chris Kennedy. Uh, you may be familiar with <laughs> <My> him. Brother. <laughs> Your brother. Um, and one of the areas that we chatted about uh, that the, uh, the Joseph P. Kennedy Foundation was focusing on uh, was, was that of aging in special needs populations. Uh, and, and recently, the, the Office uh, of the United Nations High Commissioner for Human Rights under Michelle Bachelet uh, recently developed a set of guidance on how to protect the uh, rights of older people, uh, specifically because they have very unique set of needs and they are uh, discriminated against and they are extremely vulnerable in, in many different cases uh, mm -hmm. to the same issues. As you uh, work on things like mass incarceration, gender-based violence, racial justice, and so forth, um, any interesting projects, programs, initiatives that you see specifically focused on older people? Yeah, I mean, the, the, it's interesting because... Uh, you know, whenever a kind of an, a new set of human rights violations becomes well known, um, a lot of people's reaction is, isn't that horrible? I've never heard of female genital mutilation. Isn't this horrible? Whatever the issue is. And I always have the, uh, the opposite reaction. My, act, my reaction is, isn't this great? Because um, the only way for human rights violations to persist is when they're hidden, when they're under a rock, when nobody's paying attention. And when you start hearing about them again and again and again, as um, human rights and the aging population is becoming, it's uh, this is actually the third time this week, and today's only Tuesday, that somebody has raised this issue with me. So you feel it bubbling <laughs> up all, all around. Um, I think it's a good thing. Uh, the aging population has a lot of similar issues to uh, to children. They um, often are isolated, often don't have the resources to care for themselves, are easily exploited. You know, the the rate of uh, sexual violence, yep. um, the, the number one target of sexual violence is girls between, I think it's between like 15 and 21, but the second or third largest recipient of sexual violence are, are women who are 80 and older. So um, all of these deserve attention, um, particularly those who have dementia and therefore really aren't able to articulate for themselves or to um, demand their rights in the way that others are. Wonderful. Um, RFK uh, Human Rights has a program called RFK Young Leaders, where you're developing networks of uh, folks on young folks on college campuses around the nation. Um, talk a little about this, if you would. I mean, I, my, my kids go to a, a Quaker school here in, in downtown Philadelphia, and service and volunteerism has been a major part of their education. But talk a little bit about what you're doing uh, with RFK Young Leaders on, on the college campuses. Well, really, we're, we work with, uh, with students in on 15 college campuses across the country and we're expanding that every year 
we're looking for students who um, who feel marginalized in one way or the other, who go to the you know to the annual recruiting fairs and look around at those clubs and say, "There's nobody here who looks like me," and and we're looking for for students who who are interested in being involved and interested in learning the skill sets of of human rights and activism. So we uh, talk to them about the issues they want to create change on. We also talk to them specifically about voting rights and voting access. And then we train them with tool sets, um, not only on the concept of human rights, history of human rights, what, the, what human rights are, but also on um, the, the tools that they can use to um, do community organizing and create concrete change. And then they create concrete change on their campuses, on the issues they care about or in their community they care about, and they also register people to vote. Wonderful. And um, you know, another major initiative of yours, and, and, and Chris was very, he was very excited about this. He, he said, you have to talk to Kerry about it. Uh, Compass Investors, uh, this fab, fascinating network of investment groups that you're uh, connecting with where social factors, the S in environmental, social, and government analysis, uh, ultimately looking at how companies impact society uh, on various issues, whether it's economic justice, social justice, racial equity. Talk a little bit about the Compass Investors Network, if you would. So we're going to talk about the Robert F. Kennedy Compass Investors Program. Mm -hmm. um, the human rights world, really, the modern human rights world came as out of a result of World War II. Before World War II, how a country treated the people within the boundaries of that country was con considered sovereign rights, and no other country could really comment on it or do anything about it. After World War II, because of the Nazi atrocities, um, the world came together and said there are certain rights that every human being has as a result of being born into the human family. And no government can uh, violate those rights. And that's called the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. Mm -hmm. Today, of the 100 largest economies on earth, 71%, 71 of them are corporations. So when you and I were kids, it was probably five or 10. Today it's 71. Mm -hmm. Five years ago, it was 50. So as corporations have more and more power over our lives, it's more and more important to hold them accountable for the same types of human rights violations that we hold governments accountable for, but we don't have the same tools, tools in the toolbox. So we at RFK Human Rights decided to start the Compass Investors Program. Now, when you think about a supply chain, normally we think about the, uh, the, the physical supply chain. So that would be the CEO to the manager to the person on the factory floor to and you know to maybe where those raw goods came into the factory. We think of the financial supply chain. 
the financial supply chain goes, let's say, from the raw materials that come into the factory, maybe from Bangladesh, then the people on the factory floor, then the manager, then the CEO, then what comes next? After the CEO goes to the private equity company mm-hmm. that's investing in that, in that corporation, and what's on top of that? Pension funds or sovereign wealth funds. So um, that's called the investment community. Okay, where are these investments coming from? Well, if you're a firefighter, a teacher, or a police officer, or and, and many, many other people, when you get your paycheck every week or every two weeks, money co- is taken out for taxes, money comes to you, and then a certain slice of your paycheck is taken out for your pension. Mm-hmm. And the idea is that all that pension money comes together and sits until you're ready to retire. And when you're ready to retire, it's accumulated and it's handed back to you. But you don't want to just get the money paid in back to you. You need that to be invested so that it makes more money. So when you're ready to retire now, you've got plenty of money to, uh, to retire on. That's the idea. Those pension funds, that's all accumulated by pension funds. Sometimes it's the state treasurer. Sometimes it's the union pension fund for the United Auto Workers or whatever. They have to figure out how are we going to invest our money. And so what RFK Human Rights does is we talk to those investors, both the pension funds and the sovereign wealth funds, and then also the private equity companies to say, let's make sure that when you're making investments, you're doing so in a way that is consistent with your values and the values of the people you're investing. So I'll give you two examples. Um, one example, going back to the United Auto Workers, um, this is this is in 2008. They had a rule that said whatever the pension fund does has to have a Chinese law between the pension fund and the working of the union, and so and the fine, and then the pension fund cannot be invested in any company unless it makes a market rate of return. Okay, that's just good, plain governance. You don't want to invest in something that's losing money. So in 2008, the auto industry is in collapse. The pension fund for all those auto workers is not allowed to be invested in the big three auto companies because they're losing money. They're going into bankruptcy. Makes sense. Instead, they invest in Kia, a non union car company that's in direct competition and helping to destroy those three auto you know the big three this is insanity so we try to talk to these companies about or these investment vehicles about not having those inconsistencies that's one. On the other hand, we also try to make sure that they're investing in ways that are consistent with human rights. So, for instance, last year, 
the state of Alabama created an initiative to raise a bond fund so that they could build more prisons. Um, so we went to the three banks that are the largest in the, that were taking on that bond, issuing that bond on behalf of the state. And we got all their major investors to um, weigh in with them and to say, you know, the prison system is not a great place to invest our funds. Yeah. And all three of those banks decided not to um, not to back the bond, and then the bond collapsed, and the prisons weren't built as, as a result. So that's the type of thing that we try to do and the type of issues that we invest in. Excellent. Um, Carrie, um, let's just talk for a moment about um, the chapter now uh, in Robert F. Kennedy Ripples of Hope, uh, specifically where you're interviewing uh, former President Bill Clinton, where um, you start off uh, talking about, so you start off asking him how uh, he gets along so well and works so closely now with both uh, President Bush one and two after their long history of political battles. Uh, you tell a story of your your father's uh, a visit to Japan that he was making, I think, in the early 1960s, and then he had to detour and go see President Sukarno of Indonesia, who he didn't like very much. Uh, and then you wrap up the chapter, uh, President Clinton mentions how uh, the politicization of the media, this, as you say, the zero-sum game keeping us at each other's throats, uh, really got into major full swing after your father's death. Um, talk a little bit about, you know, how we've gone from a place of sitting down, uh, as your, you know, your father would, and so forth, uh, to really hating one another on both sides of the political spectrum in, in 2022 and a little bit of what you think your, your father would be thinking nowadays or, or dealing with some of these issues. Well, you know, I think um, we need to have, first of all, start with some perspective. Daddy spent the entire 1968 campaign trying to heal the divisions in this country. Um, and when Martin Luther King died, he said, well, we need the United States. It's not violence and lawlessness and hatred towards one another, but, um, uh, but peace and justice and a sense of compassion towards those who still suffer in our country, whether they be white or they be black. You know, his whole campaign was around finding the ways in which there was alignment between um, uh, poor Blacks and working class whites, two groups who had classically been clashing with each other, but in fact have more in common than they do apart. Um, I just read an article today, earlier this morning, I think it was in the New York Times, about how, in fact, we, um, when you look at the issues, Democrats and Republicans are more aligned than they were 50 years ago. Um, but their animosity, their personal animosity, so they're, we're more aligned on the issues. Mm. We're further apart on personal animosity. Mm. So, and, I, and I'm not surprised by that because remember in 1968, so from, from 1963 to 1968, 
we saw in our country the assassinations of President John F. Kennedy, um, Medgar Evers, mm-hmm. Malcolm X, Martin Luther King, and Bobby Kennedy. Think you know there are no figures in our country today that hold the same esteem and position in the popular imagination just because we're too diversified. We have too too many other things going on. But those were major, major figures, one after the other. They were killed. And then by 1968, Martin Luther King dies. We have 125 cities in our country that are literally in flames, burning. We have martial law in Dover, Delaware for nine months. Martial law domestically. Um, There was so much hatred between those who were for and against the Vietnam War. So much misunderstanding, so much rage. We had the this, this civil rights movement. We had the women's rights movement. There was just a whole lot going on in, in the beginnings of the LGBTQ movement. Um, so everybody needs to kind of calm down about today because really <laughs> we've been through much worse. Our country was in a civil war. We've been through a lot worse. And what we need to do is find ways of disagreeing vehemently, having the skill sets to disagree vehemently on issues, but not confuse the issue with our compassion for the person who's espousing and our ultimate love for them. I mean, I, I think one of the blessings of coming from a family where you have 10 brothers and sisters, mm-hmm. is there's always somebody who's irritating the heck out of you. <laughs> <laughs> and you always love them anyway. And um, so, uh, you know, we, we, need to, we need to focus more on that as a society. I think it's hard because the news media, the, the, the way that the major news media um, and certainly the social um, platforms make their money today is by fomenting division because that gains more eyeballs to whatever the site is. Mm-hmm. So, um, so it's better. It's not only better for Fox when Trump is president, it's also better <laughs> for MSNBC yeah. and CNN because they have somebody who's going to clash and that's helpful to them. Uh, so I think that we need to really put our uh, put our support behind people who we see as healers. Um, I think of my cousin Tim Shriver as a healer, mm-hmm. and his effort called Unite. I think of um, Van Jones as a healer. I think there are people, Francis as a healer, I think that there are people out there who are doing that. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that you don't disagree. Yeah. It doesn't mean that you don't advocate with all of your might for justice, for change to the 
you know, r- radical reform of the mass incarceration system or immigration or, uh, or farm workers' rights. But it also means that you treat one another with respect and love and compassion. Mm-hmm. Carrie, one, one final question, and bear with me for, for this one. Um, I just have to inter- introduce probably the, the most famous person in my family. But um, my, my great uncle uh, was a journalist by the name of Lewis Fisher. Um, and back in 1927, um, he's sitting in the, the Central Committee in Moscow interviewing this new young guy, Joseph Stalin, who had just taken the helm of Soviet Russia, Um, just succeeding Lenin. 15 years later, uh, in the midst of World War II, he is hanging out with Mahatma Gandhi uh, on his ashram in India, and he writes several books uh, that he's pretty famous for. Uh, And then five years later, in 1947, as we're on the precipice of the Cold War, um, he writes one of his lesser known books called Stalin and Gandhi, uh, sort of looking at the state of the world then and and trying to figure out what what direction we're going uh, as a global uh, community. Um, You know, if I could put it, use the time machine and bring your father here. what, what issues do you think? I mean, obviously, he was very instrumental during the 13 days of the Cuban Missile Crisis, uh, working with your uncle. Um, what, what issues do you think he'd be working on now? I mean, would he be hanging out with you at the Human Rights Organization, or would he say, no, no, Kerry has this. Well, I'm going to go work on uh, North Korea issues or uh, Kazakhstan. What would he be involved in, you think, uh, now in 2022? Well, first of all, I love that example. I love the, the name of your your great uncle's book, because it, it again reminds us that, you know, things have been worse. Yep. We, and also things have been much more divided. The fact that you could have Gandhi and Stalin as world leaders at the same time yep. is pretty extraordinary. And so, um, you know, we, we, we need to remember that we have a choice. We have a choice. Do we want to follow in the footsteps of of Archbishop Tutu, who's passing last week? Uh, you know, he's right on our minds. And Sidney Poitier last couple days ago, a few days ago, or uh, um, Nelson Mandela. Or do we want to follow the anger and rage of uh, Donald Trump and others? We have that choice and we, we need to make that choice. And it's not only in our politics and it's not only in our, but it's really in the way we wake up in the morning and the way we treat one another and the way we treat ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, do we do it with compassion and care and love and dignity um, or not? So. I'll just say that. Um, now I forgot the. <laughs> uh, after you, you, you would say no. You say, Dad, I'm. I got human rights oh, under control. Yeah, yeah. What's he, what's what's no. he working on? <laughs> well, I think no. I think really, my dad. Somebody said you could wrap up his life in the words, "Get your foot off his neck." You know, my father was really spent a lot of his life stopping the bullies. Then towards the end of his life, 
I think you could more aptly wrap it up in tame the savageness of man, which is get your boot off his neck and make gentle the life of the world. Make gentle the life of the world is more spiritual. It's more peaceful. It's more bringing people together. So I think he, I imagine him working on both of those things. I imagine him working full, full blast as he did um, for most of his adult life on criminal legal reform, on uh, racial, economic, and social justice domestically um, and internationally. Um, and then I imagine him at the same time working on healing divisions. Um, and I don't think he really saw uh, national boundaries as bounding him. <laughs> so I imagine he'd be doing it right here at home. I think he would be doing it um, in his uh, with his family and friends, with his country and globally. And um, I think those are th those are values that are um, that are good to keep in mind today. Um, Kara, before final wrap up, any uh, big news for 2022 uh, that we should know about in terms of uh, both you and Robert F. Kennedy Human Rights? Well, you know, I'm really excited about some of the work we're doing. We have, at any given time, we have about 35 cases that we are pursuing around the globe, holding governments accountable for human rights violations. Uh, primarily in Africa and Latin America. Um, so we have a, a few cases on the horizon that I think will soon soon come in um, with with good results. We've never lost a case, so we're hoping to keep our <laughs> our good record going. Um, one of the issues that I'm really thinking about and focusing on is just this exponential rise in child labor mm. and uh, child slavery. And I'm very excited about working with the Kailash Setiarti Children's Foundation, which is, he, he won the Nobel Peace Prize. He mm. has emancipated more people from modern slavery than probably any person in history, maybe save Moses. Um, <laughs> but... <laughs> He is really an extraordinary figure. So I'm excited about that. And then um, domestically really focused on immigration, uh, farm workers, and um, criminal legal reform. We have a very, very, very long way to go. And it's going to take all of us and our determination to make that happen. Yeah. In the healing divisions, let's, let's find ways of reaching out to one another. Outstanding, outstanding. Um, rooting you on, and uh, you definitely have a busy year, but uh, obviously you're being very successful in getting things done. So it's very exciting. And this has really been a wonderful chat um, for, for everybody that's going to be listening uh, across the podcast networks or uh, watching on the YouTube channel. You've been listening to Kerry Kennedy, President Robert F. Kennedy Human Rights. Obviously, we'll put the links to the website in the bio, or pick up copies of Speak Truth to Power and Robert F. Kennedy, Ripples of Hope. Uh, Kerry, you want to say thank you for taking the time out of your schedule to do this. Obviously, thank you for everything you're doing there. 
And as we say on our show, thanks for helping to create a better tomorrow for all of us. Really, really great story. Thank you. Take care.